right, hello. It is Josh Bo from MavsMoneyBall.com coming to you with another edition of Mavs Moneyball After Dark. This time a massive, victorious edition of Mavs Moneyball After Dark as the Mavericks absolutely thumped the Memphis Grizzlies in the Mavericks home opener, 137-96. One of the most dominant games I've seen the Mavericks have maybe since when they beat the LA Clippers a couple years ago uh, by 50 at the beginning of the season. Uh, This was just a a pure ass kicking from start to finish. As you can tell by me starting off this podcast, Kirk Henderson, our editor in chief is not on. Uh, He decided to kind of take a little personal night. He had some stuff going on. I wanted to have some fun instead of watch what ended up being one of the more entertaining Mavs games we've seen, but uh i'm joined by uh, one of our our great staffers uh, matthew phillips uh matthew how's it going uh it is fantastic uh some people <laughs> may love really close games and they are fun but uh i will take a blowout as long as we are on the good end of it there's just a lot of fun things to watching games like that yeah i think uh, kirk uh sent a message in slack i think he's at his 20th uh high school reunion uh which is kind of, which is pretty fun. I don't think I would. I don't think I went to my high school reunion. So so bravo to Kirk for having the courage. Um, so he he texted into our Slack or messaged into our Slack and was like, "So I'm you know am I missing a real banger?" And I'm like, as a, like a fan and pure entertainment value, yeah, you're missing one. As maybe a content creator, um, like it's still awesome, but it's kind of like when a game gets this out of control. And Matthew, I know you'll be able to find plenty of things to talk about because you're that's why uh, you're great at what you do, but. It's just kind of, at a certain point, the game was so lopsided. I was just like, I don't know what to say, except Mavs good. Um, I think before we get into the meat of it, uh, not to discount anything the Mavericks did because they played a exceptional game. Probably, I do want to get some qualifiers out there for like maybe the one Memphis guy that might listen and get really upset. Um, the, decks, the, the, the deck was really stacked against Memphis tonight. It was kind of outrageous that the game was scheduled like this. Uh, this was Memphis. Memphis was playing on the second night of a back-to-back, and it was a close game last night. They played in Houston, so all their main guys were playing, you know, into the, you know, toward the end, all the way throughout the game in the fourth quarter. It was their third game in four nights. Um, they're missing, you know, uh, uh, you know, two key players, Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson, due to injury. Um, the Mavericks playing their home opener on two days rest, and I feel like Luca on two days rest is basically a Terminator. I mean, he's already a Terminator, but he's like even more so on two days rest. And it's the Mavericks home opener. Uh, and even if all things are equal, the Mavericks just really own this Memphis matchup. So like, just to get that out of the way, this was like 100% a schedule loss for Memphis. But on the other hand, good Lord, where do you even want to start? You want to start with Christian Wood? Like there's so many, I mean, basically everything that could go right for the Mavericks went right. So where do you want to go to first, Matthew? Yeah, I, I would say Wood, Wood's got to be the first place we yeah. start just because, I mean, Whatever, like I was super bullish on Wood. Um, yeah, I, I, I really were liked both a lot of high. Yeah, um, I I really liked him, and even that said, he's average. I mean, he scored 50, he scored fifty points in forty nine minutes in the two games. Like that's that's Wilt Chamberlain esque. I mean, it's <laughs> it's stunning how much. I mean, it would have been one game for Wilt because he would have played the whole game, but it, it's <laughs> stunning how good he's been. And one of the things that I think kind of gets lost in the wayside with him is uh, when he went to Houston, he went to play with Harden. I think how happy he is to be with that kind of creator. Like, I, I think that could be part of why he's good, which I understand is a honeymoon phase. I understand that that at some point he will have a bad game and everything. But, I mean, like, even if you look at tonight, 
it's just you can't judge statistics through one or two games because there's just not enough of a sample size. That's why it drives me nuts when people are like, oh, you haven't, this lineup has a net rating of, you know, plus 50 in eight minutes because that just means they went on like a 12 to six run at some point. <laughs> but um, the thing with him, you can judge process. And like tonight, he only made one of three threes. It's not like he was just hot or anything like that. Like in the process with him right now is so good. Um, I mean, the passing. I didn't know he could do that. Like, I would like to pretend like, oh, yeah, I always knew this was here. I didn't know that he could pass like this. Um, I, I don't think you did. I, I honestly don't think anybody aside from maybe he did. And yeah. that that's the most important thing for me is just because I think that is fundamentally ceiling changing for the Mavericks. Yeah, I told this to Kirk after the Phoenix game. Like, I did a big – I mean, I wrote like almost 2,000 words on the guy. And I know you've written some preview co- preseason coverage previewing his upcoming season as well. And I wrote, you know, I wrote damn near 2,000 words. I didn't get to, like, I didn't mention his passing at all. Like, it just did not come up watching, you know, watching tape of him in Houston. And, like, he has two assists in Phoenix, and he should have had at least four because two of his really nice passes, uh, Mavericks players got blocked at the rim. Maxi got blocked at the rim, and and Dorian got blocked at the rim. And then tonight he had three, but he probably should have had four or five. I think Maxi got blocked at the rim again on another nice pass from him. Uh, he had a really nice hockey assist, uh, potential hockey assist. Um, I think Tim Hardaway Jr. missed the jumper, but he drove and started a really nice uh, passing chain that ended up in a Mavericks miss. I mean, it's it's kind of unbelievable. Like if this is part of his game, you know, again, it's only two games, but like. Just like like you said, we have to readjust some expectations if this guy can legitimately make plays out of the short role, which is what he's been doing so far in two games. Like just Luca running pick and roll with Luca or Dinwiddie, whoever's the point guard, catching it around the free throw line when a team uh, you know is either hedging or, or trapping or just playing really aggressively on the ball, and he's made the right play almost like feels like nine times out of ten. He did have two turnovers tonight, but I mean it's. It's pretty stunning how effective he is at moving the ball so far. Well, one of the big things, so Dwight Powell has obviously been the Mavs' best short roller over the last couple of years, and he's not exactly a short roller per se, but just in competence, like when they trap Luka, give Powell the right the ball and he'll make the right pass to keep the sequence moving, um, more so than any of the other Mavs' big men. The difference between him and Wood is that he is a threat. Like if you remember when the Mavs play, say the mm-hmm. like when the Mavs played the Nets last year, when they started trapping Durant really hard and everything, and it kind of annoyed Durant. What what they ended up with was Bruce Brown having to make decisions from you know eighteen feet, and just nobody guards him. And there's nothing. The problem with that for Wood is Wood's always going to have space in that area just because of how much attention Luca gathers. Because you can't guard Luca with one person there. You have to pay a bunch of attention to him because he's one of the best offensive engines in the history of basketball. I know that sounds hyperbolic, but it's true. And so because of that, Wood is always going to have an advantage in that spot. And the problem is you can't just let him like, like a lot of the guys that end up in those spots, your Draymond's, your, your Bruce Brown, like I mentioned, like other people, even Dwight Powell, anything like that. Those guys aren't threats to score. And that's why they end up being short rollers is because they can't score. So they have to pass out of necessity. Wood can score like Wood scoring is his primary talent. And he's a threat both ways to score from there, too, in that he can shoot. Like, he can obviously, he has, you know, 18-foot range, obviously, because he has out to three-point range and is a very good three-point shooter. And he also has his his off-the-dribble game. I mean, I knew he could create off-the-dribble, but, like, he crossed Tyus Jones over today, who's a point guard. I mean, <laughs> it's, 
Like he he has such good body control and everything from there. So because of that, he's going to draw attention. And that's where a lot of the passes come from is he draws a defender out, which is why a lot of his passes lead to, to shots at the rim, which I think really matters. Because for the Mavericks and their offensive ecosystem, so many of their shots are threes. And there's a ton of value to drawing attention to the rim and kicking out for open threes. But I understand analytics. I get, I get the value of threes, and I'm not at all complaining about those. But there is also a lot of value in getting guys layups. And so it helps that a lot of the looks that he creates are at the rim as he's drug people away from there. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned a couple points I wanted to bounce off of from that you hit that are really good. You talked about him being a threat to score when he catches, which has been different from just almost every other Mavericks big man that has run a pick and roll uh, the last five years. And I mean, even Kristaps, he just didn't, he didn't roll enough to to do that. Like, you know, he, he might've been a threat, but he was mostly a pick and popper. Um, with Wood, you know, he's not necessarily even like a mid-range guy. Like he's not necessarily a guy that's going to pull up and, and hit a jump shot from the free throw line extended. Uh, you know, he barely shot any mid-rangers in Houston. Surprise, surprise. It didn't shoot a high percentage. But like you said, he's just so good and talented at catching and then getting to the spot he wants to get to closer to the rim. And he's got great touch and he's got great athleticism length. He's got speed. So he's able to, you know, catch it. And even if he's not necessarily looking to shoot a jumper with that open space he can take that open space and manipulate it into a shot at the rim uh get to the foul line i mean he got to the free throw line 14 times tonight uh good for him for hitting 12 of them that's uh that's like really nice to see after uh, what he did in phoenix when he was three for 10 so like that's part of it and then another part you talked about like you know his off the dribble game and you knew it was good but maybe not this good uh, when I was watching like tape on him over the summer, like he had a really explosive, you know, mid post first step dribble drive where he would kind of catch the ball in a post up near the elbow and then he would face up and then boom, he's gone. He would be, he just leave his defender flat footed. You're right. Like he's taking guys off the dribble from the three point line so far this season, which I did not expect. Um, and he made a good pass. I think he had a drive that started outside the three point line and he made a good pass to a corner shooter i don't think the the shooter ended up shooting but like it's just it all looks really really good and it's kind of crazy you know this is kind of what we've been talking about for like the last three years and again it's two games so let's see if it holds up but so far through two games like this is what we've been begging for right like just an all-star level of talent next to luca it just makes so much of a difference like it's not I, I, you might have said this before, or written this before, or, or someone else on our site did, but like it feels like Luca's not pulling blood from a stone with wood, like he might with some of the other guys on the roster that kind of depend on Luca to to reach their full potential. Like Christian Wood's already pretty good, you know, offensively, and Luca is just amplifying him instead of like drawing something out of him, if that makes sense. And it just it makes a world of difference. Like Luca hasn't had an all-star teammate since he's been drafted here. And Lord knows if this continues, he's going to be the first one, uh, which, I mean, I think we all made some predictions about that, but two games in, it's nice yeah. to see. Yeah. The, the thing I will say with that is that he's the first one of Luca's teammates that makes the game easier for Luca too, which we can transition. Cause we got to talk no about Luca too, yeah. is like so many of the other teammates. And I mean, like, like I have nothing. I will never say a negative word about Dorian Finney-Smith or, or Reg. And I love him and I love Reggie Bullock and all that. And but like offensively, at least their game isn't to make the game easier for Luke. I mean, they spot up, they give him space and whatnot. But beyond just spacing the floor, 
nobody that Lucas played with has made the game easier for him other than for like a two game stretch. Like KP has done it for a couple of game stretches, which I realize Wood's only done it for a couple of game stretch right now, but just, he's so dynamic. And because of that, everything that goes with, he makes it easier for Luca and Luca's in shape, which like I said, we'll transition to Luca now. Cause I mean, we, we talk about, about like, we've always talked about what would happen if Luca came into a season in shape. He's real good. I mean, like it's, uh, it, it reminds me a little bit. Um, Luca is better, obviously. But if you remember in the Dirk and Josh Howard days, Josh Howard was the starter. Like Josh Howard led the league in first quarter scoring like two or three years in a row. Um, and if I'm wrong on that stat, I apologize. But I mean, like he was up there for a while. Yeah. And, At and the I very least, he led the yeah. team in, in first quarter. Yeah, like every sure. like every game it was come out and like, end of the first quarter, Josh Howard has 14 points and yeah. finished with 21. Uh, Luca. He would like he obviously finishes with more and everything, but man, he comes out, he is the starter. He comes out like he's in shape right now, and he is just coming out like just firing on all cylinders. And it is it's just fun to watch, man. Like there's I mean, there's not anything when I look at him that I'm like, man, I really wish he would do that. I mean, occasionally he takes some threes that I'm like, Yeah, I could we could we could dial that back, buddy. And then if you want to say anything negative is uh, I don't believe he got a technical today, but he was arguing a lot for a game. They were up. He tried to get ended one. Up winning. Yeah, like <laughs> I thought he was going to get one. I was like, man, you only get so many of those a year. Like, don't waste one in this game. Which, But that's seriously nitpicking. I mean, yep. he was just so stunningly good. And I mean, like, and it's against a good, solid team. I mean, all of the caveats that you mentioned earlier definitely apply. But one of the strengths for Memphis is how deep they are and how young they are and all of that. And Taylor Jenkins tried. Like, they called four timeouts in the first 15 minutes of this game. That is not a team that's just like – that is not a team that has accepted, hey, guys, it's just a scheduled loss where, you know, it's not going to work. You know, they they tried. I mean, and and Ja ended up having a pretty – he worked his way to a pretty solid game. But Luca, right now, I, I don't see what the answer to him is. I mean, the answer is to foul him and not get called. But that's – even that – He's so strong. He's got such good touch and he's got so much flair, which I'm curious. I don't, I wasn't able to go back and check and see if they, uh, if they credited the ball that he was arguing was a pass, which I really kind of think it was. If you remember the play I'm talking about where he, he got to the rim and then went underneath the rim and shot a reverse layup that he is either a reverse layup that he missed by four feet or one of the coolest passes I've ever seen in my life for an alley oop that I really think it was a pass. (laughs) <laughs> um only he truly knows that and if it was anybody but luca i would never buy that it was at all but he tries wild stuff so it makes sense that he I and mean, they were up far enough that it makes sense that he would have tried stuff like that so but that was one yeah. of the funnest most fun plays i've seen um so against phoenix you talked about him being a starter against phoenix he had amazing amazing first quarter and it was 13 points three assists he was 69 from the field he played all 12 minutes by the way um tonight like played all 12 minutes again 21 points three assists no turnovers four rebounds three or four from three eight of ten from the field i mean i don't (laughs) it reminds me of the 20 2019 2020 luca that started the year if you remember he came out like gangbusters and looked he was basically like lebron at the rim he was shooting like 72 percent at the rim that year uh, the problem was he just couldn't hit a damn three the entire season. So the fact that like he had a game like tonight where he was basically unstoppable at the rim, 
like he has been in the past, but he also made his three-pointers for the most part, four of nine, which is really nice. And I think the big difference is, I mean, we're starting to see the trend. He's playing the entire fourth quarter. He's playing the entire first quarter. And maybe it changes a little bit when Compazzo uh, is able to, to suit up when they get through his visa issues. But right now, with Dinwiddie being the, quote, backup, you know, unquote, point guard, but still being a starter, you know, they're playing Luca throughout the whole first quarter. And then Dinwiddie comes back in, uh, checks out in the first, then comes back in in the second. That's when Luca gets his break. Uh, yeah, I think a big. Di- I just want to say the big difference for a game like tonight. I mean, they won by a million points. It was going to happen anyway. But a big turn in that Phoenix game was Dinwiddie getting foul trouble in that third quarter, going to the bench, and Luca kind of had to do work even harder than he already was at running offense. And with Dinwiddie on the floor more, I mean, he played the same amount of minutes, but obviously with the blowout, like he was on the floor for more for more minutes with Luca. Like that makes I think that makes a world of difference. And I think in the second half. Luca kind of wore down just a little bit because Dinwiddie basically didn't play for most of the second half. And this time he did. And Luca just never missed a beat the entire game. Yeah. I think there's a lot to that. I also think there's something to Dallas let up. I mean, you got to understand it at the yeah. at half, as of half halftime of the first game, Dallas had won the last six, the last 10 quarters against Phoenix by approximately a billion points. I think it was actually 77, <laughs> but for 10 quarters against a really good NBA team, one team having owned you for 77 points in 10 quarters is approximately a billion. Um, they're right at the same thing. But he, like, I, I think they let up a little bit. And so that's actually one of the other reasons that I'm so excited about this team so far is, again, it's two games. Uh, the Utah Jazz are 2-0, and and I'm pretty sure they're going to be in the the Victor Wimanaya, I can't pronounce his name, uh, sweepstakes. So don't, don't go too crazy. But the Mavs, I think they came out, they showed how good they are, and they dominated the first half there, and then they just let up. Like, it happens, it shouldn't happen. You know, as fans, we can be upset about it. But I think a lot of that happened. I do think there's something, too, you know, they did miss having another ball handler when Dinwiddie went out. Um, but I, I really just think they're good, and I think they just kind of let the second half get away from them there. But I, I'm, I have my predictions on this team have gone way up after two games. Like I'm a lot higher on this team than I was coming into the season. I was pretty high on this team before the season started, but uh, it like, they are just offensively. I think they're going to be the best offensive team in the history of basketball Um, uh, that like statistically, which they already had done a couple of years ago. So that, may not be as outlandish of a prediction as it seems yeah it sounds crazy when you say it, and then you realize oh wait they broke it and then like eight teams broke it the following year that number yeah that i don't set. i don't i don't think the bubble season like i don't really count the bubble season the same <laughs> way i'm not saying like it doesn't count as far as but uh it's just there's a lot of stuff as far as shooting that we've seen that was just the it was different and so like it's just it's it's not that it shouldn't count it's just it's different than everything else um so I, I really I, I think that they're going to be a 118, 119 uh, points per 100 possession offensive team. And if they're that and they're not the worst defensive team in the history of time, I, I think they're going to win close to 60 games, if not 60 games. Oh, here we go. That's that's what I want to hear. Um, I don't know if I can get on that ledge with you yet uh, after two games, but I certainly believe the off the take about the offense. I mean, also on the on on the defensive end uh i've been impressed with wood on the defensive end too um not that i think he's you know 
a fantastic defender. I'm not hyping him for like the all defensive team or anything dumb like that. But you can tell that he's trying and that he is trying to use the gifts that he has. Like he's been super active. He's used his long, like he's had his arms out in the passing angle. He's been trapping and hedging really hard on pick and rolls and everything. Um, like, cause sometimes you see people play hard, but they don't play to their strength. Um, like you'll, you'll see a guy like him who like try to muscle up on somebody and it's just like, that. that's not your game, man. Like it's play hard, but play smart. And for the most part, like I've been happy with him on that end. Like, I, I don't think that he's someone that's just going to get taken advantage of. I mean, as, as far as a team defensive concept. And if that's the case, I, I really do. As long as they're healthy, I, I see really, really good things for this team. Yeah. I will say. You know, since he still has to earn the benefit of the doubt on the defensive end after what he's done in his career up till now, I will say he looked good. He's looked totally acceptable on the defensive end. And then the thing that I'll say is through two games, at least on the defensive end, I'm not seeing anything from him that like JaVale McGee can't get, you know, like that JaVale McGee needs to give you or like that, like I'm not seeing like the difference because you start McGee has to start. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not like it, I understood the, the the thought process before the season, even if it, it was a little weird. But so far through two games, I'm not seeing like I'm not seeing such a drastic defensive difference between McGee and Wood to ne- to necessitate uh, Wood start or McGee starting so far. But I mean, hey, it's two games. We'll yeah. see how it goes. And I mean, the, so, clearly things are working well right now. And I mean, they'll. If so Wood I'm, keeps doing his part, they'll they'll figure out the lineup stuff. Like that'll yeah, take care of itself. He's obviously going to start. Um, I do think um, one of the things with him has always been his attitude has been complaints about you know whatever. He's taking this as well as possible, which is if you think you should start, and he does, he absolutely thinks he should start, and you get put on the bench. It's not go mope and be upset. I mean, like we've compared it to the Netherlands Noel situation. It's not go mope and be upset and eat hot dogs and do all that and make the team mad. It's go play out of your freaking mind and make it obvious to everyone why you should start. Like that is that is the correct response. Is I mean, like we we can say whatever we want and we can we can be like, hey, this is weird. Um, but Jason Kidd has eyes. Jason Kidd's a basketball like he he understands basketball at a level beyond me. Um, so I'm not going to argue that at all, but he is, he, he sees this, like it's, there is no one watching this. That's like, man, JaVale McGee or Christian Wood, who's better. The one devil's (laughs) advocate point that I will say to this is that at times when it can be frustrating for people to be in not a bigger role than they are when they're dominating in the role that they are sometimes that role is good for them. And the example I'm going to give you for that is, is it's a cross sport analogy, but everybody's always said for Russell Wilson, let Russ cook, let Russ cook. Russ would be so good if people would just let him do this. Yada, yada, yada. You know, Seattle's holding him back. Seattle, this offense makes him look worse than he is. You know, it doesn't let him play to his full potential. Well, it turns out that as soon as he got away from the offense, uh, Geno Smith looks real good. And uh, Russ can't cook. Uh, He can make some ramen noodles. So a lot of times the situations that like when somebody looks so good that we should elevate them, it, that situation may be good for them. And I, I do think what should start, but just devil's advocate, he looks so good in this role that you might not want to take him out of it. Yeah. Hard to argue. Um, all great points. It's just, 
it's so nice when you think about something for millions and millions of, of hours, like, and you're just, and you're just thinking about this stuff and you're like, is, all right, like, it's going to work. Right. Like I'm looking at the data, I'm looking at the tape, I'm looking at how he fit, you know, like it's going to work. Right. And it's always nice to get that kind of early reward. And it's, it's especially working with wood before we get out of here. Cause we are running out a little bit out of time. I want to give you two stats uh, and tell me what you think um, that have caught my eye because they're probably early trends that we need to keep an eye on that will go a long way to telling us how successful this math season is. So two games in, Reggie Bullock is five of nine from three, and Spencer Dinwiddie is six of ten from three. And if you remember last season, of course, it took Bullock like three, almost almost three, over three months to get his three-point shot in line. It was a big reason why the Mavericks struggled. Uh, one of the reasons the Mavericks struggled out the gate last season. And then Dinwiddie, he was a revelation when he came to Dallas last year and just shot way over his career norms from three when he got to Dallas. And a big question this summer was, okay, he probably can't sustain that, but how far does it drop? Can he at least still be productive from behind the line? And two games in for both those guys, and it's looking good. What do you think? Uh, so – Xavier and I argued so much about Dinwiddie and his shooting. <laughs> and uh, I was adamant that Dinwiddie was not a great fit with Luca because he's not a good shooter. And uh, he just has been since he's got here. And there's some something to the fact that he gets better looks and all of that. But it's not like he's just taking catch and shoot threes. Like he's still taking the, what I call the Spencer Dinwiddie shots. Cause like I think of people and how they things like for me, Spencer Dinwiddie three is the side dribble to the right. Uh, three just like the the Luca three is the step back to the left so like well, I think side dribble to the three to the right like step back jumper for for Dinwiddie that's what I think of as the Dinwiddie three and he still takes a bunch of those and he's just made a bunch of like the little machine gun dribble side dribble to the right shoot three like he's just made them he's turned into Steph Curry shooting those threes and if both of those things hold which obviously you know we we talked about last year with Bullock a lot of times he starts slow but Bullock is a very good shooter, but if both of those guys make threes like that, I, I just, I really, it goes back to what I said about the offense. I, I don't see how you stop the Mavericks at that point. Like it really does get into, cause you have to give up something. And when they can run the loop, cause I think eventually at some point, the, the Mavericks version of a death lineup is going to be Luca Dinwiddie, Reggie Dorian and Wood, provided he can hold up defensively and doesn't have to have basically a training wheel. I don't see any possible way to stop that lineup defensively. Like if, if you were asking me, if you're like, Hey, how do, how do we go in? How do, how do we shut this down? Like, what is the thing? What you have to hope for is you have to be like, Hey, we need Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Anthony Smith to shoot threes. Like we have to make them shoot threes. That's the goal. And if Spencer is shooting this well, I trust Dorian as a shooter now. I mean, he's been a 39% three point shooter for, I think, three four seasons now so it's yeah for sure i mean like they've got enough of a track record like it and then when he was a 20 point a game scorer running his own offense like he again like you talked about earlier about luca not having that like being able to amplify rather than draw out and like then when he is a good nba player on his own like both of those things and so you just look at it you look at the talent and it's it is not a fun offense that I would want to try to stop. Like if you're going into this, because a lot of times even really good offenses, you're like, well, you know, if we can do this, like for instance, with Milwaukee, Milwaukee's a really good team and everything and they're a fantastic offense. But you're like, hey, if we can build a wall against Giannis 
and do this. Then there's some other things. There's some wickety parts of the offense. And there's that's been the case for the Mavericks recently, which is, you know, you can be like, hey, uh, Maxi had to be in there and just hope that it's, you know, one of the month-long stretches where he's not confident making a three. But with that offense, I, I really don't see what the answer is. I mean, you, you, it's you hope Luca gets worn out, maybe with the historic usage rate. Yeah, hope Luca gasses or gets in foul trouble. I mean, yeah, that, that's much. the other thing is attack them on the other end. But Luca, I feel like Luca's been pretty solid defensively. I mean, uh, I kind of realized that I over I uh, over defended his defense over the last couple of years. I've never thought he was great or anything, but I have thought that he was over maligned. And in this case, um, like I've gone back and looked at a lot of stuff and realized that I was just wrong. But I, I think that he's been decent-ish so far this season. Like, I mean, certainly, again, not trying to advocate for an all-defensive team or anything like that. But, I mean, he's been – basically, the, the deal for Luka is if Luka is an average defender, those are real close to unbeatable. If Luka is among the worst defenders in the league, they have problems. And he's been much more of that defender than among the worst defenders in the league. Right, and that goes right back to being in shape to start the season. So it all kind of ties in together. Absolutely. Well, um, I don't have anything else. Matthew, do you have anything else before we get out of here? Uh, I do not, other than to say that uh, way to go, Tyler Dorsey, also knocking down you know a bunch of <laughs> shots at the end. Happy for him. Preseason is just not his bag, I guess. Uh, yeah, he's just saving it, <laughs> saving it for when it counts. That's the true sign of a veteran right there. Um, also, one, one more thing before we go. I think we need to eventually start tracking Josh Green's shot attempts uh, because he has won through about 33 minutes of game time. Uh, not trying to knock him. I mean, he, he, everyone, everyone that got on the floor tonight played well. Everyone was a plus. Uh, no one was a minus in the box score, um, which is you do not see that too often in NBA games. So that's another thing I might want to track see how many shots Josh Green gets up this season, especially compared to Jaden Hardy. We have a kind of a fun uh, uh, hypothetical or, or bet. Uh, no one's really bet, but we're just thinking about it in our Slack about who who finishes the season with more shot attempts, uh, Jaden Hardy or Josh Green. And uh, so far, Hardy is is leading uh, by a three-to-one uh, margin. So we'll see how that goes. Otherwise, yeah, I think we should get out of here. I mean, the Mavericks just won by 41 points, one of the more dominant wins they've had in a while. Mavericks one and one. They play the New Orleans Pelicans next on Tuesday. So this kind of kind of running through a little bit of a Western Conference gauntlet here to start the season. But the team can carry any of this over into Tuesday. We should have another fun night. Pelicans look awesome. So that should be a really fun game. Mavs on two days rest again. They're off Sunday and Monday. So that should be a really fun game. Luca will be uh in Terminator mode, well rested. So come back for that. Tuesday night. I'm sure Kirk will be back. Matthew, thanks again for joining us. You can check out his stats post, which will be, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, it will already be live on the site. So uh, thanks for kind of doing some double duty for us tonight. And thanks for joining me. We'll probably, we'll definitely have you on again as me and Kirk probably need to rotate and take some breaks. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. And uh, we didn't mention this since it was a 41 point game, anything (laughs) with the Mavs that ends up with 41, got to say we love Dirk. Uh, Yeah. Uh, that's the best way to end a podcast right there. Uh, so for Josh and for Matthew of Mazmoneybell.com, uh, we'll talk to you guys Tuesday night after the Pelicans game. Again, Mavericks, Molly Wap, the Memphis Grizzlies, 137 to 96. Mavericks are one and one on the season. We'll talk to you guys later.